Welcome to the Matthew Moran Podcast. Here you will find a series of in-depth conversations with the world's best nature photographers, conservationists, designers, editors, writers, and publishers. You will get an insight into the lives of creative professionals and industry experts, and it is a chance to hear their stories, personal journeys, and how they carve a niche to make a living in a rapidly changing, highly competitive, but hugely exciting field. I've had the pleasure of working with many of my guests over the years, and I've learned so much from spending time with them and having conversations about what it means to be a creative freelancer, sourcing exciting projects, sharing skills through partnerships, and not losing sight of your goals and dreams. This podcast is my chance to share these conversations with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Today, my guest is Stefan Widstrand. Stefan is a multi-award winning wildlife photographer, conservationist, and nature tour guide. His images have appeared in newspapers including The Guardian, El Mundo, Der Spiegel, and magazines including National Geographic, Geo, and Terra Sauvage. Along with Pete Cairns, a previous guest on this podcast, Stefan is a founding member of the Wild Wonders of Europe, a huge conservation initiative that saw 69 photographers document animals and wild places in all 48 European countries. The project reached more than 800 million people through books, print and web media, and outdoor exhibitions. And it was these exhibitions which toured worldwide that caught the attention of the Chinese public. And it wasn't long before Stefan and the team followed on with the wild wonders of China. Stefan says they are just getting going with China, but already some of the expeditions have yielded stunning photographs. You can take a look for yourself in the profile page for a full set of links to current and previous work. And I encourage you to do so. There really is some amazing stuff. Our conversation centers around the Wild Wonders projects, conservation, and the role of nature photographers as wildlife communicators. We could have filled another hour about Stefan's early career, which is decorated with many awards, beautiful coffee table books, and great stories from countless hours in the field. But Stefan is a forward-thinking guy, so when he's in a more reflective mood, we will definitely get him back on. In the meantime, I encourage you to look forward and keep the next hour free to hear, according to Outdoor Photography Magazine, one of the world's most influential nature photographers. Here he is. Stefan, this is great um, for me, very exciting to be. This is my second international podcast after um, interviewing my good friend Josh in Vietnam, but I've kept it in Europe. But I'm in Sweden for the very first time. It's my first visit to Sweden. Um, and it's, it's uh, lovely to visit you and see you. I've known you for a number of years, but this is my first visit to your hometown. So thank you very much for inviting me to your home. You're welcome. <laughs> Super happy to see Great. Um, and uh, we've got a tight hour to fill a lot of um, information. We're going to go and have a nice dinner after this. I've been, actually for quite a few years now, uh, I've been trying to veganize Stefan. And um, just by showing up as a vegan, he's, um, I'm really excited. A bit of a surprise, but he's created <laughs> this really nice meal for us later. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so yeah, let's get straight to it. And why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to very recently, and we can go back a little bit about your history, but um, yeah. you're doing 
um, quite a big project at the moment, or it's been going for a number of years, The Wild Wonders of China. So yeah. Yeah, perhaps give a little bit of a brief history about that and what you're up to now. Yeah, I spent part of the spring in, uh, in Yunnan and Sichuan and Shanxi provinces in China doing some photo shoots for this Wild Wonders of China initiative that we have. And then I also went to Taiwan, uh, which is kind of connected, but at the same time not, the, the two projects. Um, and in Taiwan, I, I'm doing a National Geographic Society uh, grant project right. that we call the Wild Wonders of Taiwan. Yes. So this, the Wild Wonders of, or the Wild Wonders, is becoming a, a, a method. Mm -hmm. a, a proven method of, of working and highlighting um, issues around biodiversity through visual media, through photography, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I think it's most of all it's showcasing the natural heritage that we have got in a certain uh, region or a country or a, or, a, or a continent even. I mean, we started off with the wild wonders of Europe mm -hmm. and then we were trying to grab the whole continent of Europe because it was a, you know, it was a piece that was a chunk that was handleable at the time. Yes. Kind of, at least we thought so when we started it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, it merged over into, uh, we, we, were, we had exhibitions in China, a tour of the Wild Wonders of Europe exhibitions. Oh, okay. And then people there said, this is wonderful. I mean, couldn't we do something, work something out together somehow yeah. in, here in China? And we thought, yeah, well, that's a good idea. Why, why don't we do Wild Wonders of China? Yeah. And the whole, uh, the concept is to, to showcase the natural heritage right in front, in, in people's eyes. We you know, visual communication, pictures and uh, film or video, um, and show things that people have never seen or, or in a way that they haven't seen before. And uh, yeah, because seeing is believing. Yes. Simply as simple as that. Yes. And very many people who don't have a relation to their natural heritage. I mean, they're a bit far away from it. Quite, quite many people in what modern society are. Uh, they need to see it up in their face before they can believe that it exists. And it's not only on a documentary level, but it's very much on an emotional level. So if you don't, you know, if you don't love nature, you will never vote for it. Not with your wallet, not with your political influence, whatever that is. Uh, but but how can you vote for, how can you be expected to vote for something or love something that you've never even seen? Mm. You've never seen how wonderful it is. You don't even know it exists. And quite a few times we've made people, you know, raise their eyebrows completely, you know, totally about, I had no clue that we had this and this in our country, in our continent, in our region. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And I remember um, now going back to when you, first started Wild, Wild Wonders of Europe, you talked to me about how you found it astonishing that Europeans go to North America and spend thousands of dollars to go and see bears in Alaska, moose, wolves, all of these animals that we have here in Europe um, that are on our doorstep. Um, and, yeah. you know, do you feel now, you know, 11 years on from Wild Wonders of Europe that, you know, this was a success and that actually, I mean, I know you said already that you did raise some eyebrows, but you know it would just seem so funny for a, a Finnish person to go to North America and see wolves, for example. Yes, yeah. Now, now, I mean, 
Swede. So instead of going to Alaska to see wolves, now they go to Finland to see wolves. <laughs> <laughs> Although we have four times as many wolves in Sweden. But, and we have three times as many bears in Sweden as in Finland. But the difference is, of course, in Finland, there are nature tour operators, nature photography tour operators, who have found a method to make those animals actually show up yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah. So even if you could, you know, you could find these animals in, in our country, you still have to uh, do a lot of field work and a lot of, I spent, I built a hide, a wolf hide in Sweden. Okay. I spent 13 weeks in it and I saw a wolf two times three seconds during those 13 weeks. Wow. I was a bit, I would say it was a poor return on investment. Yes. <laughs> so I went to Finland instead. That was better in this case. Yeah, that's amazing. And with the, you know, with the wild wonders of Europe, I mean, it's, it's not history anymore. Obviously, the website's still alive. You have, you know, social media accounts. What, what is the kind of future for the wild wonders of Europe after the buzz of doing the book, the exhibition, you know, the videos, the touring? You know, there's so many good exhibitions, lots of outdoor exhibitions, um, which was really amazing. So reaching a lot of people was really your goal. Yeah, we did. We, we, we wanted to reach uh, very widely. We wanted to reach the everyday person in the street. And I think we managed in, in, uh, to a large extent, at least in a number of countries. We counted very carefully with the community, you know, how, how much people have we reached technically. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we're up to 800 million people now. Yeah. So that's pretty much all of Europe. But all those 800 million are not Europeans. Some sure. of them are in South America, North America, and in China, for example. Yeah. But still, um, if we reach a lot of Chileans and Argentinians, which we did through printed and web media, um, then and Mexicans, then that has effect there because people everywhere you know you you get you get impressed by i had no clue that they had wilderness in europe that yes. they had wild animals big animal wild you know big you just wild think it's animals. all cathedrals and churches yeah, yeah exactly so that's the some general perception sure and, uh, you know, Europe has culture, but no nature. Mm. And then suddenly we could show that Europe has a, a lot of nature. And, I mean, there were a couple of messages um, behind the pictures. It's, so it's not just just pictures. Um, it's within quotation marks. It's, we had a very deliberate message. And the message is that, that nature conservation works. So if we give nature a chance, it will grab that chance. It's not if it will. And we, so we were celebrating what we were the first to communicate, namely the, uh, the, the wildlife comeback in Europe. So since decades back, we've had a slow but steady wildlife comeback and it's increased the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, so all the big wildlife species and all the big uh, I mean, all the big mammal species and all the big birds, large-bodied bird species, they're increasing in number. Uh, and that is not just by chance, but that is because of nature conservation decisions taken. At the same time, biodiversity in Europe is decreasing. But that's all those small things. The small animals, the bumblebees and things living under stones and things living inside old tree trunks. And So there's a number of species 
disappearing or slowly declining or, or even rapidly declining. The insect fauna is probably the most worrying, the, mm. the decline in insect numbers, biomass, if you like. Um, but that's also connected to nature conservation decisions, but it's connected to those decisions we have not taken yet. Right. So, I mean, so the biodiversity is declining because of lack of nature conservation decisions. The big mammals and birds are coming back because of nature conservation decisions that have been taken yeah. in the right direction. So, and this is powerful messaging because it means <clears throat> it, it works everywhere. It's the same in Africa or North America or South America or Asia. So if you give nature a chance, it will take it and yeah. it will take a step back to come back. And, and that means we, could, we managed to show that there is light at the end of the tunnel, that there is future, that the, the glass is half full, not just half empty. And when you look at things from that side, from a positive angle, we still believe that this is easier to start a communication, a discussion about things. Yeah. It's easier to open minds in, in favor of nature conservation, in favor of, of our what we call our natural heritage. A lot of people know about culture heritage and there's a lot of you know, decisions taken and laws made about it, about castles and cathedrals and bridges and, and all kinds of handicrafts and those kind of things. But we also have a natural heritage on, by chance. All our cultural heritage is, is based on that natural heritage. Yes. So if we just think about nature, not just as some green stuff that passes by when you drive your car, but it's actually what our whole existence is and has been based on forever. Yes. So then it, the importance of that nature comes up. So, so that's the basis. But, but again, if it's just some green that passes when you drive your car, you don't, it doesn't individualize, it doesn't jump at you, it doesn't make you emotionally engaged. So that's our job as, as wildlife photographers and nature photographers to, to put that in as emotional ways as possible in front of people. Yeah. So you get all those reactions. Oh, how cute. Oh, how horrible. Ooh, that's ugly. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, Oh, poor him or poor hit, you know, wow, that's exciting. All those wow feelings. Yes, of course, because if you, if, you, if, you, if you don't feel connected, how can you protect, right? Yeah, now, you, we, we, humans, we are very primitive beings in that respect. We protect what we love. Mm -hmm. We care about what we love. Yes. And everything else could just bugger off. Yeah. So if we don't love nature, and if the next generation doesn't you know, feel emotionally engaged in, in nature, yes. it's lost. Yeah. It's going to disappear again. <laughs> and so how, um, in terms of reaching people, of course, you know, as a nature photographer, you uh, live in a bubble and you have like-minded people around you. you know, how do you reach, you know, how do you prevent just preaching to the converted? How did you reach people that are kind of, oh wow, you know, those people that you said they didn't know certain species were living in their own country. I mean, obviously nope. having outdoor exhibitions and that are free, I can imagine, you know, a lot of people are going to spot Yeah, there, there are a couple of, how would I say, there are a couple of ways. Some of them are technical, I mean, a choice of technology or a choice of, of medium. So we, we chose the outdoor exhibitions and each one of those we reached a lot of people um, that were completely unprepared to see what we showed them. 
So there, I mean, in Berlin, we had a million visitors in that exhibition. Mm -hmm. in, in Madrid, we had a half a million visitors in the exhibition. So very many of those did not plan to go to an exhibition. It was just there in, in their way when they were out jogging or walking the dog or going to a business meeting somewhere. In, in Berlin, it was right outside the, the Hauptbahnhof, the right. big yeah. railway, main railway station. Yeah. So there were hundreds of thousands of people just you know, passing through. So you've got no barrier, of course, in terms of like, you know, opening and closing hours, charging people five euros for a ticket or whatever. It's, no. It's there. It was difficult to monetize it that way. Yes. You know, how do you get paid and how can you pay all the expenses it, yeah. it, in, included in, in, in bringing an exhibition like that? But we found it through, through sponsors and uh, that, was, that was a whole, it was almost a full-time <laughs> job just finding those sponsors and <laughs> getting you know, them happy and making deals left, right and center yeah. and finding the right kind of alliance of the willing. And are you doing these very much yourself? I mean, of course, you're a team of people for, for Wild Wonders, but this is the thing about you know, the modern wildlife photographer. You're not just photographing. No, in, I mean, everybody, you know, I guess m most of uh, my colleagues do things in a bit different way, each one of them in, in their own different way, and there's no uh, one way of doing it, but the way that I and some of my colleagues now in, 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 this, in this team, we have chosen to, to do much more communication work than uh, just, just uh, photography work. Mm. So... Yeah, we, we, you know, we, we had in, in order to reach out properly, then you need to, to also f uh, fathom the the commercial and the corporate side of things, and also understand how big media works. So we reached many of those eight hundred million people. We reached through commercial media, mm -hmm. first of all, print media. Uh, this was ten years ago. Yeah, of course. And also print media. They also had websites. Uh, news websites uh, through which you reach amazing amounts of people. Yeah. And of course social media existed 10 years ago but not with the same level of power that it has no, now. No, it, it, it existed but it was just, you know, just barely. Yeah. And now we, we will be doing of course much more social, we are already doing much more emphasis on social media. Um, but I think the, the combination with Wild Wilderness of Europe at the time Connecting web news media, print news media, uh, TV news media, and outdoor exhibitions. That was the main outreach. Yes. Then we had indoor exhibitions. Yeah, you know, you, you, need, you, re you reach a specific crowd. Then you need the, the cultural liberal crowd. Of course. You know, the, the, the exhibition goers. <laughs> and... Uh, they're a nice crowd. I mean, a nice crowd of people, very many decision makers and uh, their families and friends. But it's not the really wide. Yeah. Whereas, for example, we did this outdoor exhibition in Madrid. Okay, so then we analyzed, okay, who, which are the two main media that we want to reach more than any others here? Well, of course, it's the El País and El Mundo. Those two yes. um, new Spanish... Uh, language, the biggest Spanish language worldwide uh, news media. Yeah. So we made a deal with each of them, and that is that they could use one of our pictures, a new picture every day on their website, on the first page of their website, with 
uh, a caption, the caption connected to it, from the exhibition at no cost. So we, we gave it away. Mm -hmm. Then we reached 130 million people mm. by that. Mm. But they had never been interested in doing that deal with us unless we had the exhibition going in Madrid. So that was the media hook. Yes. The exhibition, an, an outdoor exhibition with hundreds of thousands of visitors, that is a culture event. Anyway, you measure it. it. It's a main culture event in any big city. Yeah. So then it becomes, objectively, it becomes news yeah. from, a, from a neutral standpoint. And it's funny because, you know, I have a lot of you know, young and emerging photographers or people that are making career changes, figuring out how to monetize and earn money from photography. And all the advice, you know, that you read all the time is never give your work away for free. But unless you're going to reach 130 million people, I guess. Yeah, I think we, we shouldn't give away things for free. No. But <clears throat> when, you, when you run the big exhibition, uh, you, can, you can count your money in from, you know, different sources. Different currencies. Yeah, yeah. so, so currency. at the end of the day, it's so-and-so uh, uh, so many hundred thousand followers or millions of, of uh, visitors or millions of readers that, if you have the right setup, can translate into serious monetary income. Yeah, because people are, are buying books and then they're following what you're doing. And yeah. Oh, now they're going Wild Wonders of China. I want to buy that book. I want to go yeah, to the I, exhibition. Yeah, in, in the Wild Wonders of China, uh, Europe project, I realized that I'm much better at selling pictures that I haven't taken yet <laughs> than selling the ones that I've already taken. <laughs> that's, that's a good skill to well, have. <laughs> actually, I, I, I realized, you know, from, from a business perspective, uh, it, um, it's when you have taken the pictures on your own account, on your own cost, at, at, at your own cost, yes. and it means that then you're a bit desperate. Yeah. Well, so you need to sell them. And if you could then go to the newspaper or to the media company, then they know you're desperate. So yeah. they could push your yeah, price sure. down pretty low. But if you offer them, if, you know, if you, of course you have to have some track record, yes. otherwise you're not credible. But if you offer them something, well, you'll be the first and you'll be unique and you'll have the first shot at this or you will have the exclusivity. Yes. Then you have something to barter or just negotiate with. And then suddenly those pictures are much more worth already before they're taken than afterwards when they already are taken. Of course. So It's a different kind of pressure, I guess, from, from selling stuff you already have. There's a pressure because... Also, there's a time pressure. You need to sell it while it's still fresh. Yes. Versus the pressure of selling something you don't have, you then have the pressure to go and get something pretty good. Yeah, you, then you have the pressure to, to deliver according to your <laughs> promises. And that's, that's when you learn uh, what to promise and, not what, and what not to promise. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, so we've kind of used that thinking. And uh, so we're, we're doing a Wild Wonders of China. It, it's working out quite differently yeah. but it's it's a different it's a different culture it's a different side of the world it's a different language it's a different uh, well the, the way our societies are organized are pretty different yeah absolutely. and uh, and uh, we are the guests we're not you know we, we're not from there of course so we need to work with people and and then adapt and adjust in 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 those ways that, mm. that uh, makes it possible. But I mean, I just want to give you one, mom, one, one um, uh, 
little, um, let me say, a snap. Yes, of, of, a snapshot. Of, a snapshot of reality there. So we do this project in the Dehong province with the, um, uh, well, it's a part of Yunnan uh, province, and Dehong is a, is a re region within the Yunnan province. And we did a project together with the Chinese partner who then had a project with this Dehong government. So they wanted some foreigners to come and take pictures with a bit different eyes and different angle and looking at things. So we were that part. And then we delivered the pictures and uh, they seemed happy. And then we were also, we were supposed to do a presentation. So we do a presentation for 700 teacher students and their teachers. And after the, uh, the presentation, you know, lights come back on and you see a number of the people are have tears in their eyes and they're crying. Wow. And uh, up stands the headmaster, uh, uh, a lady in her 50s, and she said, you know, I'm deeply moved, she said, with tears rolling down her cheeks. I had no idea we had these kind of thing, these kind of animals and birds and habitats in my country. And she said, not only in my country, but even in my province. And not only in my province, but literally 10 minutes outside our city. And you show me things that I thought I would have to go to Africa or South America in order to see. But we have them in our country, in our province and almost in our town. Yeah. And, then, and then she said, and here you come from the other side of the world and you show me and us yeah. our own heritage. That is very, and then you saw you know, the tears. <laughs> Almost, I was also crying at yeah. that point. It's kind of the equivalent of, you know, when you have a, a guest visiting you, like when we have guests coming from London, we're like, oh, brilliant, let's go uh, down to the London Eye, we'll go to the South Bank, we'll go to Westminster. Yeah. You know, you start doing the things that are on your back, on your doorstep, and you think, well, actually, I live in this city, here. it's pretty cool, there's a lot going on. There is, yeah. In Sweden we say, yeah, sometimes you can't see the forest because of all the trees, <laughs> and it's a bit... It's a bit that way, that that's how we all are. Yeah. But it's also uh, more and more people living in cities. Yeah. Less and less people are actually out in the countryside and, and moving around in the, in the spinach out there. Yeah. And that means there is a distance. That's and so many people today, city people, who kind of like nature or like wildlife, but they have no real emotional relation to it on, on, a, on a practical level. It's, it's just over, you know. Something out there. Something yeah. out there, far away. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I so just, um, just uh, I definitely want to carry on talking about the Wild Wonders, but I had another question about the Wild Wonders of Europe. And, and you know, in the evaluation, of course, it's brilliant reaching all these millions of people. And I wondered, <clears throat> in what you said earlier about in the last 20 years, you know, these large carnivores are, are coming back and um, large bird species as well. And did you also have any impact in like any policy change or did were new reserves set up or, you know, in this kind of big awareness raising and, you know, we have to protect our natural heritage. Did, what were the kind of positive success stories in terms of actually protecting species that came out of that? Yeah, I think in, in our case, there's no uh, direct connection with you, know, you put up an exhibition and the next day the, the sea <laughs> eagle or the, the golden eagle is... Uh, is better protected, or there's a commercial, yes. there's a, as a breeding success yeah. of the peregrine falcon or something. Yeah, but <clears throat> it's um, it's it's at another level. Th this kind of communication, 
For example, we were the first to talk about the Europe-wide wildlife comeback. Mm -hmm. At that point in time, most people didn't believe it was happening. Only the people working in... Some people who worked in wildlife conservation in a special place, they knew that species was coming back, but they didn't have the helicopter view of all over Europe. Right. And so we started communicating about it because we have seen it. We've been there. Some of us, for decades, we've been to these different places all across Europe. And when you pool those experiences and knowledge together and, and then you double-check it with actual research statistics and numbers, and then you start seeing the whole picture, and nobody talked about the wildlife comeback. Everybody talked about the biodiversity crisis, which is true and which is happening, or even escalating. But that's connected to the way we use the land. Mm -hmm. But the species comeback is because of the way we treat nature conservation and, and the species, the protecting, uh, hunting limitations or sure. hunting seasons imposed, yes. etc. So, so, I mean, the all-time low in European wildlife was in the 1960s. And, and, and since then, uh, a lot of wildlife has, is yeah. coming back. Yeah. To the extent that some people think it's too much. <laughs> but that's, that's a very unscientific way of looking at things. Yeah. Too much, says who? Yes. <clears throat> Does nature say it's too much? Yeah. No, then it would have pulled the brakes already a long time ago. So it, it's... Um, so that's one dimension of it. So we, we, we told about the wildlife comeback. Now that is a fact. That is an established fact. Uh, scientists uh, have you know, rewilding Europe, which was which was actually one of of uh, how I say wild wonders of Europe led to the rewilding Europe project. Yeah. Not not only. I mean, we, there were several parties coming together, but we we came with the communication angle into the rewilding Europe. Yeah, can you just talk for the listeners that don't know just very briefly about rewilding Europe? And yeah, rewilding Europe is a, it's, it's a Dutch uh, foundation, an mm -hmm. NGO, that was created by uh, five people back in, nine, uh, back in 2011. Mm -hmm. So a few years after we, we did the big peak communication from uh, Wild Wonders of Europe, and Wild Wonders of Europe came in as the communication partner in that. Um, and Rewilding Europe is, is, n is not a communication project. It, it's a proper nature conservation on boots on the ground uh, development, uh, mixing rewilding as one piece of the, uh, one third of the cake, so to say, and adding business development as another third of the cake. You know, how can you make the wild values lead to business jobs and income. And then the third, uh, third of the cake is communication. So we came with that piece of the right. pie or the cake. Um, and, and it used the, the communication, both the visuals that we had. I mean, we brought 200,000 images as, as, a, as a bank to, yeah. to, to, uh, to source to images about. from. Yeah and to communicate with those images, top of the line at, at the time. Um, and then Rewilding Europe developed 2011, and that we're trying to find, uh, as a start, uh, 11 areas in Europe that could be rewilded with some serious effort, mm -hmm. where Rewilding Europe itself would put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. And I think they're up to eight of them now. Wow. And they've tried a few that they, they took on board, but then it didn't quite work out for, you know, for numbers of reasons, culture, language, uh, 
authorities, politics, all kinds of things happening. But it, it, it's an impressive movement and it's, yeah. it's gaining momentum every day now. I think the whole rewilding idea, it, it, it's now becoming international yeah. or, or global, I would say. I think it's an exciting, definitely an exciting movement. The, world, <clears throat> the word rewilding you know, conjures up good images you know, in your head and it works. You know, I've seen it firsthand from my experience working in Devon. You know, we were talking earlier about the beavers being released there and the impact that they have on ecosystems. And I know you had a um, really good experience when you made your Aurochs book and this kind of rewilding using large herbivores. Um, and like you said earlier, it's fact-based, it's evidence-based. And you can see that even in just such a short period of a few years of you working yeah. with certain species. Yeah, we brought back you know, the, the bison to a couple of places in, in Romania and Bulgaria. And, uh, you know, as soon as any place puts up their hand, now, now Rewilding Europe is running a big bison reintroduction program yeah. to a number of sites. Um, and, I mean, those things need to happen also in my country. And for decades, it was a, no, a non-issue, uh, you know, bringing back the European bison. That's, God, how nerdy is that? <laughs> now people seeing that left, right and center, these animals, which are a, a vital part of our own natural heritage, yeah. suddenly they're coming back. And then we're asking ourselves, we, we used to have those. Why don't we? Yes. And if, you know, and those guys are getting it back, why don't we? Yeah. So suddenly that has changed. And that is very much thanks to images. Uh, and, you know, or it's thanks to communication that is visual based, I would say. Mm -hmm. So it's not just pictures, but it's then you use pictures as tools. Um, so to me, that is uh, at least that, that's uh, my and our way of, of trying to do visual communication yeah. and conservation yeah. photography. And so moving on, so you had these, you know, all these exhibitions over Europe and then you managed to secure some internationally. So you're in China at these exhibitions and you said a few people came along that, oh, wow, why, you know, can we do this here? Who were these people and how did you, you know, get permission and how did you, you know, I mean, we, we touched on this earlier when we were talking, China's such a big place, you know, where and how do you start? Yeah, and that's, uh, that's, a, that's a very good and valid question. And, and, uh, and when you want to start, how do you talk with people? Because the, their language is quite different of from course. ours not just translated from, you know, straight, yeah. but also how you say things. And this so goes back to what you were saying about being good at talking people into selling the idea of images, and you have to do that through a language barrier as well. You can't bullshit yeah. people, you know. <laughs> no, but, but a language barrier, I, I, you know, that's fine. There are many languages in Europe, but, but when it comes to East Asia, there's also a culture barrier which is, um, uh, yeah, it, it's, 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 a, it's a really big challenge, much bigger than I would have thought. I would have thought if we just have the right translators, yeah. you know, they could tell us, uh, you know, tell what I'm saying and tell what the other guy or girl is saying. But, but it's not that easy because we say things in, in some ways that are not always understood on the other side. And they say things in their way, which doesn't always make sense completely, or we don't quite understand <laughs> how it's made, and yes, you know, so what they actually mean. 
so, it, but it, it, it's fun. It's a lot of laugh, <laughs> lots of misunderstandings. My God, and sometimes you know, uh, due to translation, sometimes due to culture misunderstandings, sometimes you know, personalities, ways of doing. Uh, it's just, it's a, it's a big. Ch- it's much more difficult than Europe. Yeah. At, at one level. On the other hand, China, you know, is, is one very big country. Uh, but it's one. Whereas Europe, we had 48 to work with. Yeah. 48 with different languages, with different administration culture, with different laws, with different structures. And uh, so it, it's, it is kind of easier to work with, with, with one rather than 48. <laughs> Amazing, and so how did yeah where you know, where did you where did you first start where did you first did you need like permits for shooting what well, species what species did you did you devise like species lists that you wanted to cover I mean having in a way it's great having you know the wild wonders of Europe under your belt so you have some kind of model to work towards but I guess that's the selling point afterwards like you say you got all these different cultural barriers and communication barriers so starting off. Yeah, it's, uh, that's a good question. We're still trying to find out the answers because it's not uh, super simple. Uh, uh, in, in Europe, we needed quite a few permissions in, in, of all kinds of obscure reasons, uh, some better and some worse. But in China, there are many, many more permissions needed for all kinds of things. And it, it is a major task just to understand in each um, moment, who is the authority that should give what kind of permission? Yeah. And sometimes we applied for a, a permission to come and shoot in a nature reserve. And then five different agencies had to give a thumbs up for wow. that. And then you, you negotiate and discuss, and with you know, four of them, it, they're fine. Ah, but the fifth one is not. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so we go somewhere else. <laughs> So we have a wish list with a number of species and a number of places. And we're, we're, instead of doing a very super organized from A to Z, yeah. uh, we're being opportunistic about it. Okay. Which means that some, you, know, you, you work on several fronts at the same time. And when there is success or invitation or somebody who passes you on uh, to, uh, to the next, and I know somebody who and then you should talk with so-and-so, and then you follow that track, and then suddenly you're, like last summer, suddenly I was the first foreign photographer and the first professional photographer ever to come to me to photograph the pair David's deer. Amazing. Uh, you know, the, the first time in 30 years since they created that reserve. Wow. And we, we were, you know, super welcome. Yeah. And I delivered a bunch of pictures to them, so they were happy for, for the first time. They had some really serious image material from that and I, I was invited to come back and uh, okay. but that was you know because of one two three steps of course, yeah. and then suddenly that's and, possible and there you have to be you know somewhat flexible and maybe sometimes you know Definitely. the language barrier you can kind of fudge things a little bit and because it's not so straight well you in 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 many countries you can fudge things, but China is not the place right, where you okay. fudge things. No, China is <laughs> the place where you do things properly. Yes. Otherwise, you're sooner or later in, in in some kind of problem. Yeah. And did it work in the same way? Um, you know, the, the the format with you know with with Wild Wonders of Europe. 
You hired 50 photographers? No, no, we have changed that a bit. Yeah. Uh, because foreigners, uh, you know, everyone needs a visa, and foreigners, um, foreign people with cameras is not, yeah, for different reasons. Uh, uh, many authorities are not super, uh, how, how can you say, it? they're not super, they don't feel comfortable with having a lot of foreigners running around. N not, not just you know, from, from an from a, authoritarian point of view, but more from uh, what if there is an accident? What if they get harmed? What right. if uh, the car hits a, a lorry? What if they fall down a, a cliff? What if they get bitten by a snake? Mm -hmm. uh, and then everybody knows that if that happens to a foreigner, it's a big thing. And many authorities they really don't like negative publicity so if suddenly you know a swede gets bitten by a poisonous <laughs> snake in a nature reserve that would be the end of you know, a lot of people would get fired and how could yeah. you let him go there and how could you da 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 so nobody wants that kind of problem and that means uh, there is a certain hesitation yeah i can imagine it would be you know your idea of from the outset of doing something like this is wanting to Chinese photographers yeah and I was curious about what the scene is yeah. yeah well the scene is extremely rapidly developing in China uh, there is not the market yet or at least there hasn't been a market to have a, a core of, of uh, independent nature photographers so I mean in, in China for example you go to a book publisher and they want to publish your picture, you have to pay the publisher to get your picture published <laughs> okay. in many cases. Uh, so it's, you know, then you can understand you know, how can you make money. But the, the Chinese system has not been rigged for independent entrepreneurs within communication. No, no, that, that, that's, um, they have a different setup. Yeah. Um, but, but now that's, that's changing because nature Nature is becoming very popular. Wildlife is becoming very popular, especially birds yeah. in China. And while bird photography is huge, exploding, I would say. Just this, when I started traveling to China in 2012, since then I've seen, you know, maybe it's five times as many wow. now, at least. And that <coughs> means tourism, it means ecotourism, it means a uh, lot of people with, with big cameras and f complete camouflage outfits and they are super enthusiastic and they have they do social media communication and okay so I, I i would say that just the mere fact that we started off and in our side trying to do uh, international communication about uh, about the chinese natural heritage has also started a whole bunch of Chinese wanting to do, uh, to, to tell their own story in pictures about their own country. Great. So I, I see for every year uh, the quality of, of nature photography is going up, 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 up. Yes. Um, and I think that they're taking part, Chinese photographers are taking part in more and more international competitions. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, there is a general ambition from, from Chinese government that in China, we, we should be at the top of everything, of every art form, every uh, visual art form, every science, industry, 
you know, within every little sector. Yes. And now that turn is coming to, to the nature photography. Yeah. And I think that's really good. That's great. So you're working closely with a number of well, we Chinese. we work quite closely with with a number of of uh, f photographers, yeah. yeah, and some photography, I would say, networks and yeah. cl clubs doesn't sound that good, but <laughs> it, it's it's a mixture of a professional network and a club. Yes, because many of the the Chinese photographers, for the reasons I explained, that there is not that much market to survive as an independent photographer. Then you pretty much need to have your own wealth mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. from something else. Business, sure. you're a doctor, you're a, um, I say, a dental... Surgeon or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, know, you have to have a, you know, a lawyer or you have to have proper income from somewhere else. And, and then you could put a lot of your ambitions into nature photography. Yeah. But it, it, it is happening. And now I, I know the, the China, TV, the government TV is, is um, commissioning a bunch. They, they have the BBC as the, uh, the how say the goal, the, yeah. that level of, of production. But they want to tell their own country story That's about amazing, that. Amazing, yeah. And it's really great to hear this because again, we you know we talked about this earlier. This contradiction of China. I mean, every country is a contradiction in in a way. But you know, in terms of the West, you know, what we hear, we don't hear about, you know the rise of um, interest in, in, in bird species or the rise of bird species numbers. We don't hear really about Chinese reserves and nature photography or a place to go for wilderness. You know, what we do hear is it's this hot spot for animal trafficking, for traditional Chinese medicine, you know, fueling the extinction of elephants, tigers, you know, everywhere else. And of course that happens, but you know, you're there as a nature photographer doing this big communications project about the wild wonders of China. And you know you're on the ground seeing all the all of this stuff. So, yeah, a lot of people tell me, you know, uh, from the, from foreign countries, not not from China, of course, but from foreign countries, they say, wild wonders mm -hmm. of China. Uh, what kind of wild wonders would that be? I, you know, they've been maybe they've been to China even, but they've been to somewhere down the southeast where there's just people and cities and complete development exploitation everywhere, and you you don't. Always see that much. It's not like you know Serengeti or something. There's a billion people living there, um, but then they haven't been to other parts of China where it's more wild than most places in Europe. Yeah. So China has about as much. Well, it has more wilderness than Europe, and it, it has about as much wilderness as the United States. Yeah, it's amazing. Not quite as much as Canada or Russia, of course, but it. There is like a transect, you know, southwest, northeast, diagonal through China, and south and east of that, there is, um, how to say, the, the biodiversity is much uh, lower mm -hmm. due to, to human reasons. But north and west of that line, it's much wilder than most wilder, reasonably wild places yeah. in the world. And I mean, is, that, is that where you've been focusing? Well, yeah, exactly, from the southwest, Central and West. Yeah. So, Qinghai, Tibetan Plateau, uh, the big deserts, the rainforests on the Laos, Burma, Myanmar border, uh, some mountain chains. But then there are some mountain chains through central China that have been protected areas, some of them for more than 2,000 years. Right. And now we're talking serious nature protection. Uh, well, 
1800 years ago, they, they decided to protect 20, uh, one mountain chain, for, for example, the Chingling Mountains, 20,000 square kilometers. Wow, it's yeah? incredible. No hunting, no logging, no fishing. I mean, how many of Europe's nature reserves today could boast having those three demands met? No hunting, no fishing, and no logging. You know, that will be a fraction. Unbelievable. 20, almost 20% of China is now protected area. That's more than pretty much most countries in Europe, each one of us. I think Sweden is at 15. And that's because we have huge highlands where they can't do anything else but just make, maybe make a nature reserve. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And, and uh, they are seriously protected. Those species that are protected, they are seriously protected. It's enforced and you don't want to be among those who are caught red-handed with, with fiddling with, with their protected wildlife. Yeah. That means, you know, you could have a life sentence or even, even worse yeah. um, for that. Sounds like you're a fan of that kind of protection, yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of life sentences, sure. but I'm a fan of, of, uh, of the result sometimes pretty harsh yeah, and I uh, think strict measures, I would say. Exactly, and especially when you see, um, you know, here in Europe that, that you know, our, our reserves, our national parks have levels of protection. People do go in, log, hunt and fish, and the prosecutions are just so feeble that, you know, nothing really you know, happens. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, I mean, and there, so there are many, and this is, w w that's one of the reasons why we, from in our team, wanted to tell the story, the wild wonders of China, because there's so much we, we, and many, many others don't yet know from that part of the world. And there are things happening very quickly, and there are good things happening, and they're building a national park system with a, with the direct ambition that it's, it has to be, it's gonna be much bigger than the American one. <laughs> it's gonna be much better following the IUCN definitions completely. So suddenly you have, you know, from being in, in during the last hundred years, with the, with the lowest ambitions when it comes to nature conservation, suddenly China has zoomed up and, you know, over these last decades, last 20, 30 years, they've just suddenly become on, on top of the game. That's and amazing. Yeah, I think uh, in China, hunting is banned. Imagine a, a country of China's size, no hunting, unless in very specific areas and very specific seasons and species. Uh, in our countries, it's the other way around. There's hunting everywhere, unless a few species and a few seasons. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, there's hunting in Sweden. There's pretty much, as soon as you come outside city-planned area, then it's hunting. Uh, and, um, you know, like it or not, but uh, it's a fact. That's how it is. Uh, whereas in China, okay, from, from a few years, well, almost 10 years back, there's no hunting. And there's no logging in the big watersheds of the big major rivers. These things people in general have no clue about, yeah, don't know I about. I have no clue. I mean, no? it's incredible. They're really, yeah, setting the tone. Yeah, so when you have no hunting in huge areas and the forest is coming back more and more every year, then you have suddenly huge habitats that are protected and you have the species are living in, in whatever peace can be expected. But it means that wildlife numbers increase by 10, 20, 30 percent, depending on species. Um, even the pandas, the greater pandas, increased by 10% in 10 years. But then they have extremely low reproduction and they are extremely limited in, in area, etc. 
But many of the other species are coming, but much, much, much quicker than that. That's really incredible. It is. Yeah. And where are you at currently? I mean, you said you first went there in 2012, and when did you kind of start, okay, this is now going to go ahead, the wild wonders of China, yeah. you start photographing. I mean, are you, is the plan also, you know, this big visual media, books, exhibitions, films? Where are you currently at in 2019? Yeah, we, we, we started 2015 traveling there. And I think right now we're in a in, in an uh, how say in in a stage where the first years we wanted to to see with our own eyes what nature looks like here, what wildlife is there, what what is the situation, you know, to learn simply, uh, in order to be able to to uh, communicate about something, you need to first of all learn. That, that's an old Mao Chairman Mao quote, by the way. Without research, no right to speech, to speak. I yeah. like it. Without research, no right to speak. So um, we, we follow some of the old Mao quotes. <laughs> <coughs> and um, it, it means uh, we, we needed to know, quite simply, and to, to get to know people, to get to know and to understand which authority do we need to speak in this region and in this, on this level. And is there any interest at the national level uh, what can be done, and it's not like you just walk in through the door of, of uh, uh, you know, the, the, the president's department. You just take everything step by step. That's very much China, step by step. Right. And we're doing it step by step. Yes. That's how the long march was done, step <laughs> by step. That's brilliant. And um, I mean, you said two hundred thousand images, you know, in the bank from from Europe. Are you are you hoping to get similar? Well, probably more from, from China. Yeah, we'll probably get more pictures yeah. in into the bank. You know, cameras are quicker nowadays with the shutter <laughs> release. Um, more editing, more time in front of a computer. Yeah. yeah, but it's not it's not about the numbers, really. It's more about the quality of, of what is shown. But for example, I, I took a picture. I, I, I was up in the Tibetan High Plateau in the Qinghai province, and we photographed the palace's cat. Yeah, these are wonderful images, by the way. If we'll, we can put some links up to them in, in the notes, and yeah, that these, we need. yeah, these have been really quite something to see. Um, and it was such it was one of my biggest wildlife experiences ever yeah. to be very close to those uh, three cat kittens yes. or teenage kittens, so to say. They were yeah. almost adult, and. Um, uh, anyway, how did you get so close quickly? I oh, that was a long, uh, <laughs> uh, was uh, several hours of, of stalking slowly, or uh, not stalking, but rather moving slowly. Yeah. And they were sitting on a little mound, uh, and in the mound there was a bunch of holes. So that was their den, and uh, it was pretty cold. It was like a few minus and. and Quite hard wind, so no problem for a Swede, though. No, we, we were. I was shivering. Oh, really, like, yeah. I was. You know, had all kinds of thick clothes and down jacket and all this, but I was really cold. But uh, they got cold, the kittens, and then they got down. They went down into their hole, and as soon as they went down in their hole, we advanced a few meters sure. and waited, and up they came, and we had a relation somehow. And we took some pictures. They got used to the camera yeah. shutter sound, and then they went down in the hole, and we advanced, and they came up, and we stopped. And <laughs> it's like a game. They went down, and we advanced, and suddenly we were there at maybe eight meters away oh, from them. That's incredible. And they were completely relaxed because then they had seen us for like two, three hours, yeah. and they knew that we didn't look like something dangerous. And on the contrary, <laughs> one of them started stalking me. You know, so I got this picture of this cat. That's the shot, you know, head on. Head on and looking at me like if I was a small vole or something. 
And had it not been such a small, relatively small cat, it would have been a bit scary, actually. <laughs> you know, imagine that's a tiger or a leopard or something, then you would not have been uh, comfortable. I'm sure. Well, but now I know how the pikas, or the small rodents, how, how they feel. You felt yeah. like a pika. Yeah, scary. I felt like a big pika, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a rodent. That's amazing. But that picture uh, won the second prize in, in China's big... Uh, national, international nature photo competition, okay. which is also a new thing that just happened. Yeah. The Golden Porpoise, it's called. Okay. So it won the silver medal in that, and um, then it was it was printed, you know, 15 meters wide and four or five meters high, and uh, in a huge exhibition, outdoor exhibition, that then toured all around the biggest cities in China. That's brilliant. So this is, you know, these projects are, it's not like, right, we need to take a bunch of images, then we produce a book, then we do the exhibitions. You're doing this as you go. Well, in this case, it was not our exhibition, but okay. it was an exhibition belonging right. to the competition, which is another one of those teams in, in China that are trying to do these yeah. kind of things. Uh, but then, of course, we then work together somehow and and help each other yeah. and, uh, and uh, get inspired or... Uh, so it, it, I'm so happy that that exhibition is happening because it celebrates uh, nature photography, it celebrates nature conservation, and it celebrates what I call the joy of nature, the joy of the wild. Yes. Uh, and that is a central part of the whole Wild Wonders thinking. Europe, China, etc. Uh, joy of the wild. Yeah, yeah, that's magnificent. And I remember... Um, you know, one of the many conversations we had years ago that you t you confessed that you were really good at starting projects and terrible at finishing them. <laughs> so where, how are you going to wrap up Wild Wonders of, of, of China? I mean, you yourself, I mean, I know that you can also, we can also talk a little bit about Wild Wonders of Taiwan, which is a, a new venture, but you're, whilst you're still doing Wild Wonders of China, so are you already in your mind kind of moving away from China or are you still very much involved? In no, I mean we're still in the starting stage. Yeah, wow. it's not. Uh, yeah, it might look very slow, but sometimes uh, I, I like slow process, a slow progress, because it's more safe. Yeah, you could be quick and then be wrong or, mm. or lose. But um, so we're still building up the momentum. We're not, we are not past the peak. We've not even reached halfway to that peak. So there's still many years of work um, to, to show the natural heritage of, of, of China. Yeah, uh, or I would say, we talk about, actually we talk about the Chinese natural heritage. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a long time to build a portfolio of any work for any photographer and if we're doing a, a country like China, which is largely unphotographed, even though they have all these amazing places to get, well, I mean, 200,000 images from the Wild Wonders of Europe is a lot of images, but I guess these places are perhaps a little bit more accessible, and lots of photographers are used to photographing those places, so it's going to take that much longer to get a really good quality body of work. Yeah, and, and it, it is a much bigger place. <coughs> yeah. That's simply it. I mean... Um, we, we were on the on the Tibetan highlands. We were at you know four and a half thousand meters altitude, and there's a high plateau there. But when you're on that high plateau, you're actually in the bottom of a valley, and the, the mountains around are three thousand meters more. So you're at four thousand five hundred, and then there's a yet another three thousand meters. I mean, 
uh, even from sea level, 3,000 meters is pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. Oh. So the, it, it's, it's huge. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot to explore. I mean, uh, and it, it's, not, it's not unknown. Of course, Chinese scientists know most of what is worth knowing about yeah, many course. things there. Uh, uh, species and habitats and uh, there's still details to learn, of course. But the thing is that in the outside world, outside China, very few people know about anything yeah. uh, when it comes to the wild nature in China. And in the Chinese big cities, also very many people do, do not have a, a clear relation to what they have literally 10 minutes outside their city. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I really look forward to seeing more amazing images like your palace cat. And, and there's, I mean, already if you follow Stefan or Wild Wonders of China, there's some really incredible and unusual looking species, which is so nice. You know, it's a nice, I guess it's a nice break from polar bears and tigers as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there are tigers there also. Of course. But they're not that many any, anymore. But they're also coming back. See, this is one of the things. You know, there are so many species that are, are coming back. There are so many conservation hero stories. There are so many, you know, positive, uh, inspiring examples that in our part of the world over here, we have never heard of. Yeah. So we're happy to tell that. But uh, you can follow us on Instagram, uh, for example, on Facebook. But uh, I would recommend Instagram because that's where we put focus, at least on the, the foreign communication. For sure, yeah, it's the, it's the biggest platform. And, you know, you being primarily a, a stills photographer, I was interested, and I've talked to a lot of photographers, and of course, since the advent of shooting high definition on DSLRs, a lot more photographers moving into video, and now with 4K, possibilities and mirrorless cameras being so good at video. Have you ventured into that world? Are you documenting what you do on video as well? Yeah, I'm, um, uh, I'm, I'm fudging around a bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm learning by doing. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I, I'm shooting, how do you say, I'm shooting sequences and clips. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not a cinematographer. I'm not uh, a cameraman, so I don't shoot I shoot video a bit like if it were stills. Yeah. So you have this thing doing that, or there is this natural scene, and you might do a pan or a or a zoom or something. But and I've started with working with a drone. Okay. So, but it's still early stages. Sure. But if you want to shoot a real film, you know, you need to start in the you know, look at it from the other end completely. Of course. So that's not what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, but I'm I'm shooting material that we could then use for social media, for uh, trailers, for uh, advertising, short for films. short films. Okay. Yeah. But it's difficult. Yeah. And I I find the DSLR is not super easy ergonomically. Technically it's fine. No, I, I, I personally, I, I have chosen to work with a Nikon system, and uh, the Nikon D850 is, is, is a wonderful, it makes wonderful video, or you can make wonderful video with it, rather. But it's still a camera body made ergonomically for still shooting. So it's a bit clunky. It is it, yeah. a bit clunky, and it doesn't, you know, doesn't always do it. I and the I moved over to the mirrorless, so I use a Z7 or a Z6, and then I have them as video cameras. Okay. And they're much better for video. Technically, they're pr pretty much the same, but handling-wise, or, you know, there are a few advantages in it. 
yeah. that uh, the focusing or and uh, the fact that you can see the the histogram in the viewfinder or on the screen while you're shooting is uh, it, it it adds value. All all of that really helps. Um, you've answered this a lot, I think, in the thread of most of what you've talked about so far. Is you you have this very and as long as I've known you, this kind of positive attitude towards um, you know, wildlife, towards nature, con nature conservation, towards protected areas, so all the positive stories around it, yet all we hear, and you know, particularly just in the last few years, are you know, negative stories, biodiversity on a, on a downward spiral. Um, and of course, I know that you pay attention to that, and Josh, my last guest, you know, he talked about the importance of having local successes, because if you think globally, it's just depressing. So how do you like, remain hopeful? Is it the local successes? Yeah, maybe you choose to look at the world through a very <laughs> thin uh, binocular or, or but, but uh, I, I'm, I'm a strong believer in positive communication for humans. And I think we can fix things. Look at um, uh, acid rain. Nobody talks about acid rain today. No, that's because Britain, especially, uh -huh. and Germany, uh, cut the emissions from carbon, burning coal simply, and making heat or electricity. Yeah. Uh, so the clouds of, from the carbon uh, industry, uh, or the, the energy industry, doesn't come to, to Sweden anymore and Norway. And our lakes don't get sour from the acid rain anymore. Yeah. And the fish can suddenly start living in those lakes. Yeah. And in the meanwhile, we put a lot of calcium powder I would say, uh, um, in, in, in the lakes in order to keep them less acid or less sour because uh, wildlife in the lakes died out completely. And now, step by step, we don't need to put... Yeah, and that's uh, human-induced change. Well, it's a, it's a human-induced change from start, the acid rain, and then it's a human-induced change of habit. So there's no acid rain in the same way. Perfect. Yeah. And we, we, changed, we, we had the, the ozone hole. Nobody yeah. talks about the ozone hole that that's much right. anymore. Well, that's because humans decided to phase out those CF, fluorocarbons. Yeah. And uh, we, we use other chemicals now that are not ruining the, the ozone hole. And suddenly it's slowly uh, mending itself or shrinking. Yeah. And in the same way, we will be able to mitigate or to uh, change behavior when it comes to climate change and biodiversity. But it'll be a hell of a fight before, you know, many people don't see it until they're right at the edge of the cliff. Yeah, that's when we're really good at acting, isn't it? When it's just like that last one left and like, okay, we better do something about this. Yeah, now. exactly. The Iberian lynx were almost gone and then suddenly the EU managed, the, all the states managed to put you know, billions of, of euros into it, and now it's coming back big time. Yeah. And the same with the Arctic fox in my, in my country, Sweden. It almost disappeared completely. We had, at the lowest point, there were two couples left. Yeah, unbelievable. Having babies. And now there's, uh, there, there's like, I think, four or 500 uh, individuals. So, but it, it takes an effort, and, but it was us who ruined the thing in the first place, then it's us who have to fix it. Yeah. And, and then, of course, it, it's necessary that some communicators and news media speak about the disasters, the problems, the issues, the, uh, the threats. Um, and I, uh, because that's one part of reality. And, but I personally am better at communicating about 
what could be done, what, ha what is being done, who are the heroes, what are the good decisions, uh, what are the facts in the case, and uh, pointing in a, you know, in a, and in a positive direction. That doesn't mean that the, the problem-focused ones are wrong. It just means that it, you know, there are many facts uh, around. Yeah, and it's, and it's perhaps a bit easier to sell hope. It is, and it, especially if minds are a bit closed, it's, it's easier if you have an image-based communication, because images, we look at images um, not with the thinking part of the brain, but with, with the emotional part of the brain. So any information you can send through an emotional image goes straight past all those defenses, all those filters or barriers that we have put up. If some people, if they read the word biodiversity, okay, it's closed already. There's, there's, there's no way of coming, or climate change, zoom, door down. Don't want to listen, don't want to hear. I know what I want to think. Mm. Yeah, but suddenly you come across a film sequence or an image then there's no defense. Yeah. It goes straight in and then it, you maybe start asking yourself things. That's where you can communicate yeah. better. And do you as a photographer feel a sense of responsibility in a, in, in a way? That, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that's part of my whole idea. Because yeah. we're, we're also guilty. We are, we are photographers who travel. I mean, we have huge carbon footprints. Yeah. Going to I'm places. more than most. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, it's not a gotcha question. I'm not trying to no, <laughs> catch no, no. you out, but it's 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 no, that fact of. I mean, we're we're modern human beings, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I have a car. Try to use it as little as possible, but still, it it it, it gets used. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, the people in the in the northern, western world spend more energy and and. Uh, and resources than many people, especially in the southern, non-Western non world, so yeah. to say. Uh, and so each one of us uh, is more guilty than, than any one <laughs> of them uh, in that respect. Uh, but you can't just you know, go and whip yourself and... Uh, anyway, it, it, uh, That's right, you said to me years ago, if you really cared about the environment, you'd have to hang yourself with an organic hemp rope. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Hang yourself in an organic hemp rope, then you really do something about it. But that's, that's nothing you really want to promote, and it doesn't, it's not going gonna to fly politically. It's not a good sell, no. No, from an election point of view and from a political decision point of view, it's not a winner, it isn't. Stefan, this is great. You know, we've been talking over an hour, and, you know, I had all these, you know, wanting to talk about your early career and, uh, you know, what got, how you got into photography. I think we're just going to have to do another podcast because, yeah, that's fine. you know, we, uh, there's so much to talk about and, and it seems like we haven't even talked about it enough. Um, I did want to ask what your ambitions were, you know, as uh, I'm sure you won't mind me, me letting the audience know that you're 60 this year. Um, and uh, I'm 60 and I know it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, you have an incredible, you know, history and body of work and, you know, so many awards and tons of books being published. You know, what, 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 what are your ambitions in the, in the next 10, 20 years? Yeah, to, to keep on clicking and to communicate very widely. We, we gave ourselves an ambition with the, with the Wild Wonders of China. We said, well, we reached 800 million people with the Wild Wonders of Europe. Well, now we should reach at least two billion. So, uh, yeah, we started, we've started counting. I, I can't tell you the count right now, but uh, in, in, in due time, there will be some explanation of that. 
But I, I mean, the whole idea of, of reaching hundreds of millions and billions of people with positive-minded, joyful nature and natural heritage communication, that's, that's my ambition. I mean, yeah. Otherwise, just take pictures and people click a few likes and that's nice, but you know, it has to be more than that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'll go to the hammock. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so great talking to you. Likewise. Thank you so much Thank for you. your time. And we will put all the links up um, on my page and all the Instagram links, all the Wild Wonders links, so people can see, get ac- direct access to all this work. And um, yeah, and we'll have to get you back on and uh, find out what you did when you were 20. <laughs> right. Please, and please, everybody who might listen to this, you know, check out the, those Instagram, follow us, click like and happy uh, um, emojis uh, <laughs> for all the pictures that you see, at least those ones you like. Yeah, that's right. And this is no ordinary, you know, Instagram page of, of, of polar bears and, uh, and cats. Well, there are some there rare are some cats, cats that you don't see, but um, yeah, there's really extraordinary stuff up there. So yeah, I encourage everyone to check all of those pages out. And um, yeah, and everybody listening to this, is, is they have a responsibility of spreading the word. And this is the wonder now of, of social media, of reaching these even bigger audiences. So let's do it. Yeah, good. Thanks so much for Thank you very much, Matt, for d- doing this. In yeah, interview. and I'm looking, looking forward to my vegan dinner now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still gonna work on, next time I interview Stefan, he's gonna be telling me that he's, a, he's, he's finally got it. He's moved over to the, to the plant-based ways. <laughs> and let's see. Take care. Let's see. Thanks. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. I was so happy to catch up with Stefan for this interview. It's such a joy spending time with him. He's such a great speaker and doer. My goodness, he's published 18 books already. And I know from experience how long it takes to put these things together. His positive energy is infectious and he's certainly been an influence on my career. And He presents such a clear and succinct case for why nature conservation should be high up on every country's agendas. So like he said, you can help follow, like and share all the links in his profile page and on the podcast section of my website. The Wild Wonders of China and Taiwan pages are throwing up images you don't see every day. So I encourage you to check that out. It's uh, really amazing stuff. You can also share this very podcast with your community. It's free. They're all completely free. So you can pay me with five minutes of your time, leave a review on iTunes. It really helps us to reach a wider audience and to hopefully stir people's emotions who are not so connected to the natural world and get them interested. Now is not the time to preach to the converted. Um, The message really has to get out there to those who don't have access or are just not informed. Um, Share this with those people who you think you know, maybe they might be able to change their mind, might be able to make a difference about habits, about um, their attitudes. And you know, it can really start with hearing inspiring people like Stefan. If you are in the London area and want to come on a photography workshop with me, you can visit the workshop page on my website. We are taking bookings now for the autumn series. And this is when Hampstead Heath really starts to get exciting with many fruiting fungi species and the deciduous trees begin to show their magical range of colours. It's really not to be missed, so check that out. Thanks again for listening. 
see you soon for more conversations with inspiring people on this podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.